Well, we are in this series called I Quit. I quit. I'm, I'm, we're looking at things that we can quit that are going to help us have a uh, deeper, better experience of God. Things that are going on in our lives that we can just say, you know, I need to eliminate this to make space for God and to experience his presence. And this week, it is I quit complaining. I quit complaining. How many of you know somebody who just complains all the time? They're just always griping, always complaining. How many of you are that person? Yeah, okay, yeah. Thanks for being honest. Good confession here. Um, yeah, uh, Pastor Craig Groeschel did a, a survey on Facebook, and he just kind of asked, like, what are some things that you're tempted to complain about? And interestingly, a lot of people kind of uh, said the same thing from the different, uh, different point of view. They were kind of opposites. For example, a lot of people complained about their jobs. You know, I don't like my job. I don't like the people I work with. An equal number of people complain about not having a job. Several people complain they have too much to do. How many would say, yeah, I could, you know, I sometimes complain I have too much to do. Other people complain about being bored. They didn't have enough to do. I wish. Okay, yeah. So some people complain because they couldn't have children. Equal number of people complain about their children. You know, we, we complain about the weather. There's not enough rain. Then we complain, uh, rain at uh, the wrong time, you know. And this stuff happens in church, too. You know, it's like, oh, uh, you complain about the music. Uh, too many hymns or got not enough hymns or complain about the sermon. Oh, the sermon is, is too long. Or they complain the sermon's too short. Nobody ever does that. But, um, yeah, people complain about all kinds of stuff. School, uh, politics, work, health, housework, their bodies traffic, uh, bad drivers, potholes, not enough money, not enough time. One guy said he complains about people who complain all the time. And it's a weird thing. It's like nobody ever goes, ah, you know, my goal in life, I just wish I could complain more. You know, I feel like that's my spiritual gift or, you know, I'm just so happy after I complain all the time. Nobody says that. And yet we live in what one author calls a culture of complaint a culture of complaint. But complaining, it just sucks all the joy in life out of us and out of the people around us. Now, there's basically two ways that you can quit complaining. Two ways we can quit complaining. One of them is we just change our external world, okay? We change our external world so there's no circumstance left to complain about, which means if you're, you know, complaining about not being married, you have to get married, and if you complain about being married, well, then you got to improve your spouse to the point where they're a person who never generates grounds for complaints. Uh, you have to have one of those jobs where the, uh, the boss just asks you, what hours would you like to work and how much would you like to make? You have to make sure roads are always free, traffic free, you know, your dates are cute, you get straight A's, and all your relatives are in therapy. Uh, that's all you have to do. One way to quit complaining, just change your external world. The other way, of course, is to change your internal world. Just to ask God, hey, God, would you give me just kind of that inner attitude so that I could receive every day as a gift from you? Show me what the Apostle Paul talked about when he, when he talked about the, learning the secret to being content in every situation. Well, that's what we're going to talk about. And here's the thing. Like, we still live in a world with, with suffering and pain and difficult things happen to us. And we don't want to be like kind of those fakey, inauthentic people with the plastic smiles going around like, oh, everything's great. Uh, we want to be real. So, so how do we actually pursue quitting complaining? Now, there's actually a distinction between two key words in the Bible. Uh, Old Testament expert named uh, Tremper Longman writes about these two words, and they both start with the letter G, and they're both things that people do in the Bible when bad things happen to them. And the first one is this word, groan, groaning. 
Yeah. Uh, this goes way back in the history of Israel. We're told in Exodus 2, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and they cried out. And their, their cry to help because of their slavery went up to God and God heard their groaning and he was concerned about them. Now, this practice of groaning is so important, it actually gets included in their sacred literature, the Psalms. The psalmist says, my soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? I'm worn out from my groaning. The psalmist actually experiences groaning fatigue. Okay? In fact, groaning is actually commanded in the Bible. Uh, there's a book in the Bible called Lamentations. Lamentations doesn't get read a lot at weddings. Uh, but the writer of Lamentations says, Arise, groan in the night, pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Look, Lord, and consider, whom have you ever treated like this? That's groaning. People do that in the Bible, and they do that in real life. And it's actually commanded in Scripture. But there's another word that starts with G in the Bible, and it's this word. Grumbling. Grumbling. Sometimes people grumble. This also goes way back in the history of Israel. The Israelites are constantly grumbling about stuff. Um, uh, Moses reminds the, the Israelites of this at one point. He says, you guys grumbled in your tents and you said, the Lord hates us. This word makes it into the Psalms also. Psalm 106 says they grumbled in their tents, and look what he pairs it with this time, and did not obey the Lord. So he pairs grumbling with disobedience. Now that word grumbling is actually forbidden in the Bible. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, and he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Anybody here ever grumble? Doesn't seem like a big deal. It kind of seems sort of, you know, like a petty, trivial kind of a sin. And if you think that, you'd be wrong. Because Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he says, hey, we ought to avoid the sins that Israel, that Israel committed in the wilderness as kind of a lesson for us. And then he lists them for us. He says we shouldn't commit idolatry or sexual immorality or defy God. And then he says, and do not grumble. As some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Well, that's kind of scary. So you got these two words, groaning and grumbling. Groaning is encouraged in the Bible, but grumbling is actually forbidden. So what's the difference between them? What's the difference? Well, groaning is something I do to God. Grumbling is something I say about God. Groaning I do to God's face. Grumbling, I do behind God's back. And the place like where Israel would, would groan was on their knees in prayer to God. The place where they would grumble, do you remember? What is that? In their tents. They're just kind of alone. You know, they can just exaggerate and make up stuff about whatever they're not happy about. And grumbling can be so destructive. It can destroy a family a friendship, relationships. It can destroy a workplace. It can destroy a church. And we want this to be a place where when there's a problem, we talk to each other, not about each other, which is at the heart of grumbling. And uh, historically, at least the last decade or so I've been here, that we've been pretty good about that, not, not grumbling. But if we're going to stay healthy, we need to know what to avoid. So I want to take a few minutes just to kind of talk about the anatomy of grumbling. Let me just say, I'm indebted to a sermon by John Ortberg for some of his insights about this. 
And what I want to do this morning is I just kind of want to walk through a, um, a time in the history of Israel when they had a big problem grumbling. And we're going to see why grumbling is so destructive and then do a little self-assessment uh, around this. And then we're going to talk about how to get liberated from this. Because we want to continue to be a church where we're known for our gratitude. To be a place where we are liberated from complaining. And be a place where people can come and they know they will experience a spirit of thanksgiving, which is such a powerful thing. So, way back in Israel's history, God delivers them from slavery. You know, you got the plagues, he parts the Red Sea, destroys Pharaoh's army. Very first hymn is sung in praise to God. And they're on the way to the promised land. And you would think, man, we got freedom. They're going to be grateful as long as they live. Not so much. A couple days into the wilderness, they can't find water. And it says the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we going to drink? What are we going to drink? Well, God miraculously supplies them with fresh water. So they've got freedom and they got water. And we think, wow, they're going to be grateful forever. Not so much. It says in Exodus 16 too, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the message translation puts it this way. I like this. They said, why didn't God let us die in comfort. You know, we would have preferred that, just death and comfort, okay? In Egypt, where we had lamb stew. Remember the lamb stew? Oh, that was so good. Yeah, and all the bread we could eat. You've brought us out into the wilderness to starve us to death. Well, God hears their grumbling, and again, God's gracious, and God miraculously provides bread. You guys know the story. It's called manna. Manna is just Hebrew for for what is it, you know, or the, the street name, what it is. You know, and it just was kind of like, like cracker with honey, so it was kind of good tasting stuff. And so now they're going to be grateful forever because they got freedom and water and bread. Not so much. Numbers says the people fell to grumbling over their hard life. They got tired of the manna. God heard, and when he heard, his anger flared. And it says the riffraff among the people had a craving. And soon they had the people of Israel whining, why can't we have meat? We ate fish in Egypt and got it for free. We're going to come back to that. To say nothing of the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic, all these seasonings are so good, but nothing tastes good out here. All we get is manna, manna, manna. And now we start to see what's part of what's so destructive about grumbling, why God takes it so seriously, and how it can just destroy a soul in our joy in life. For one thing, it's incredibly contagious. Incredibly contagious. It says the riffraff among the people had a craving and soon they had the people of Israel whining. So it starts with the riffraff, then it spreads. And grumbling is kind of that way. Emotions are unbelievably contagious. About the most contagious thing there, there is. There was a fascinating research study a while ago researchers would take two people and have them sit in a chair facing each other for five minutes. They don't say a word, but they just face each other five minutes, then they walk out of the room. And what they found is if one person was depressed, at the end of those five minutes, the other person was significantly more depressed than they had been before they sat. Just from sitting in the presence of somebody who was depressed. Just to be sitting next to a negative person will make you more negative. Now that you know that, how many want to move someplace else in the room? Yeah, It's just kind of this contagious thing. You know, pretty soon everybody's whining. And the reason I grumble is it reinforces my sense of superiority. You know, because when I'm, when I'm complaining about something else, when I'm grumbling about some, someone else, well, then I don't have to look at myself. I don't have to look at my problems. 
It's incredibly toxic. It's destructive because it's contagious. It reinforces my sense of superiority and it distorts my perspective. See, what they're grumbling about here is why can't we have meat? What's on the menu? More manna? Oh man, you know, it's like, remember in Egypt, we had fish for free. Did they have fish for free? What were they doing in Egypt? Anybody remember? They were slaves. Yeah, for crying out loud. So they're grumbling. They're going, oh man, we had it good back then. See, I'm, when I'm grumbling, it distorts my perspective and it causes me to ignore and just dismiss all the good stuff that God does for me. And, and then I exaggerate whatever's difficult in my life. I mean, think about some of the stuff that we grumble about. I mean, just think about it for a second. And then imagine explaining that to somebody back in Bible times or a couple hundred years ago, even, even somebody you know, in the thir- third world country. You know, oh, your teacher gave you homework. Okay, so you, you get to attend class instead of having to do hard labor in factories or the fields, and, and you get an education that will help you pursue any of a thousand career opportunities. Okay, your flight was delayed. So the way you traveled was you got on this contraption called a plane, and you sat in a seat for several hours, and you get to eat and drink and sleep. And when you get off it, you've flown like a bird for thousands of miles. Okay, so your phone dropped a call again. So you've got this amazing object you can put in your pocket that enables you to talk to anybody anywhere in the world and write to anybody anywhere, anytime in the world and look up information that didn't even exist when we were around. You know, sometimes I think if there's one verse that should be in the Bible that isn't, it would be this one. Suck it up, saith the Lord. All right. Now, here's the thing. When I groan, I do that in the presence of God. Groaning in the Bible is God-centered. It comes from people who are in deep pain or deep sorrow, but they are aware of the broader context. It's interesting, in the Psalms, uh, the Psalms of complaint or Psalms of lament is the most common psalm. They're groaning psalms. When people groan, they're very aware of their own sin. That's why often in these psalms, there's like this confession of sin. Because awareness and confession of my sin is very much a part of the process of groaning. It's God-centered. Grumbling is self-centered. It's all about me, what I want. How come I'm not getting the fish that I want and the meat that I want or the pleasure I want or my success? You know, All kinds of self gets junked up in there. And it's always destructive to the soul. And man, is it contagious. Look what happens. It starts with the riffraff. And then moves to the whole people of Israel. And then look at this. This is the leader. Grumbling can kill a leader. Moses heard the whining. All those families whining in front of their tents. God's anger blazed up and Moses saw things were in a bad way. Moses said to God, why are you treating me this way? What did I ever do to you to deserve this? Did I conceive them? Was I their mother? So why dump the responsibility of this people on me? Why tell me to carry them around like a nursing mother, carrying them all the way to the land you promised to their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people who are whining to me? Give us meat. We want meat. I can't do this by myself. It's too much. All these people, if this is how you intend to treat me, do me a favor and kill me. I've seen enough. I've had enough. Let me out of here. Okay? Not the most spiritually sounding passage in the whole Bible you've ever heard, is it? (laughs) But there's some pretty serious complaining against God. God, you're doing a bad job. God, you're getting a bad performance review from me. Now, Moses gets just one thing right. 
He complains to God, not about God. He goes to God's face, not behind his back. And I got to tell you, reading through that, I've become convinced, I think we actually need to do more groaning with God. Like his honesty with God, the edginess of his language with God, there's nothing polite here. And I think Moses must have had such a, a real, authentic, deep, alive, honest life with God. If you ever find your prayers getting a little dull or boring, there's no life in them, maybe it's because there's not enough of that reality going on. See, God can work with groaning. God wants us to go through life, though, without grumbling. So here's the thing. The idea of I quit complaining is not, well, I'm filled with just as much negativity and sourness and pessimism and ingratitude as ever, but I'm just going to try to suppress it by a sheer act of will and paste a smile on my face and act cheerier. That is not God's will for our lives. God's will is that we actually be transformed so that I learn to experience this day, this moment, this place as a gift from God, a gift of God's grace. God, I'm so thankful. Now, that's going to take some transformation in us. Okay, And I want to give you some tools and resources to practice this week that God can begin to use to transform us into people who are genuinely grateful. And one of them is that we actually practice the expression of gratitude, whether we're experiencing the emotion or not. Just express gratitude to God. The old King James uh, uh, Version translation of Psalm 100 uh, gives us one way. It says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. You guys have heard that, make a joyful noise. I was thinking about that phrase this week. You know, it's kind of odd, make a joyful noise. Anybody can do that. Joyful noise, not super specific. And part of what's interesting is he doesn't say, have a joyful feeling, okay? He says, make a joyful noise. Why? Well, it's because I can do that. I can't make myself have joy. But it's easier to turn an action into a feeling than a feeling into an action. I love how Eugene Peterson translates Psalm 100 in the message. He says, says, on your feet now, applaud God. That's joyful noise in our day. Bring a gift of laughter. Like when you come to church, when you gather with your friends, bring a gift of laughter. Sing yourselves into his presence. That's why singing is such a good thing. It expresses the heart. Know this, God, Yahweh, is God. And God, Yahweh, he made us. We didn't make him. We're his people, his well-tended sheep. Enter, enter the presence of God with the password, thank you. I love that. Anybody have a lot of passwords in your life? Anybody ever grumble about how many passwords you got? Yeah, yeah. The password for going into God's presence is thank you. He starts out, he says, on your feet now, applaud God. I was thinking about that phrase, on your feet, applaud God. I was thinking how cool it would be to be a part of a group that was that fired up authentically about God's goodness. Now, we're a Presbyterian church, so we would never do that. I understand that. But how cool would it be sometime to be with people, and we wouldn't do this, but somebody might, who stop and think, you know, I woke up this morning. It wasn't a coincidence. God woke me up. God put me in my right mind. I've got a table and I have food on it. I had clothes to put on. A lot of people in the world don't. 
There's this fabulous planet I get to live on with sunrises and sunsets and trees and birds that sing. And not only that, I've got a family and I got a church family and people who care about me. Then there's the Bible. I actually get to learn about who God is. And then there's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in my life and I don't have to be alone. And I've got a spiritual gift I can use to make a difference in the world. And then best of all, God gave me Jesus, the master of life, whose teaching still changes the world and whose life is a matchless piece of goodness and beauty. And he died on a cross and I have forgiveness of my sins. Not one of them is counted against me by God. And then Jesus rose from the dead and I've got the resurrection at work in my life and in my body and in my words right now. And then I've got heaven to look forward to. I don't have to worry about dying because I'm going to be with God forever. I know we wouldn't do it, but wouldn't it be cool someday to be with a group of people who are so excited about God when the Bible says, on your feet now, applaud God, they actually did that? Wouldn't that be a cool thing? Maybe someday. Okay. Just to say, yes, God. Yes, God. That's our God. I don't know. I have to tell you, we applaud about the goofiest things. Right? You know, the guy hits a, a ball with a stick and people go, go crazy. Somebody runs a pigskin over a line and people go nuts. And here's the God of the universe. Every once in a while, somebody ought to jump up to their feet. Oh God, what a great God you are. That's the password. See, that's how I come into his presence. That's one tool for you. Another tool. It's kind of an exercise to try out. Not every day because you don't want this to get rote. But every so often... Just take a piece of paper, write down five things, five things in your life. Might be something as simple as a cup of coffee or, you know, in the morning, the sound of a bird singing outside your window or a conversation you had with a child or a close friend. And just think, God, what a great God you are. How grateful I am to be alive in your world, in your presence, and just realize God is right here. That's a tool for you. You can do that wherever you are, when, whatever's going on, any moment. Every moment, every day, right now. God isn't in the grumble. God is in the gratitude. Now, I want to say a word, especially uh, to people who are really hurting, because in a congregation this size, there's a fair amount of us. And if it's not you today, it will be someday. If that's the case for you, you groan. You groan. One of the most amazing passages in the Bible is uh, about groaning. Because groaning goes deep, right down to the core. This is what Paul wrote to the church at Rome. He says, for the creation itself, this planet, this earth that we love, it's all polluted up, messed up, torn about with violence. Creation was subjected to futility. The whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. There's that little word, groaning again. All of creation, all creation is groaning. See, groaning is what you do when you hurt so much, there aren't words to express it. Groaning goes so deep, creation groans. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. Death and sickness and pain and suffering, it's all wrong. And a happy attitude can't cover over that. It's not supposed to. And Paul goes on. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly. We all do this. Those of us who know and love and seek to follow God, who name the name of Jesus, we who have been given the Holy Spirit, we are not exempt from groaning. 
See, this ought to be a place of great gratitude where we're just extravagantly grateful to God and we stand to our feet and we applaud God. This also ought to be a place where groaning is welcome and honest and real. So many people get confused about this. They think, well, if something bad happens or I'm sad, well, then I've done something wrong or God's done something wrong or there should be kind of like this little bargain, you know, as long as you follow Jesus and you're obedient, everything's going to be okay. Not so much. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. We do too. But not just that. Not just that. This is the great mystery. This goes to the heart of God. Paul says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Not by making things okay, or even making us more tough. The Spirit helps us, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We don't have the words. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Creation groans. People groan. Christians groan. Who else groans? God groans. Our God, this holy, matchless, wondrous, powerful, joyful creator of all that is, is a groaning God. Only the God of the Bible is a groaning God. Only the God Jesus made known to us is a groaning God. See, when Jesus was on the cross, In physical and spiritual anguish, he groaned a cry that's come to be known as the cry of dereliction. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Jesus, God groans with you so that one day you can reign in love and power and joy with God. That's our God, a groaning God. That's why we stand up and we applaud our God. There's no other God like that. He'll be with you, and he'll give you, through his son Jesus and the spirit of Jesus, the power to live a life that far transcends the kind of grumbling about stupid stuff that we all want to quit. Now, next week, we're going to look at quitting the one thing that may, like, if we don't quit it, may make us most unlike Jesus. The one thing that may make you more miserable than anything else. And I'm not going to tell you what it is, so you got to come back for that. Don't grumble about it, but don't miss next week. Let's pray together.